Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. On this week's episode, Pastor Jaina and Dr. Ted Sachuk share as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ this Easter morning. Easter Burning Hearts Church. We are so grateful you're worshiping with us today. Thank you, band. It was an amazing time of worship and just declaring the power of the blood of Jesus, the power of that resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today that's what we're celebrating. I have brought my husband, Ted Sachuk, today to be a part of the sermon. And I just wanted his perspective. We're going to look at um, a doctor's perspective of the death and resurrection of Jesus, as well as the scriptures. And in 1986, JAMA came out with a report written by a number of physicians and scholars about the death of Christ and what it looked like from a medical perspective. So today, we're going to look into that as we go through the scriptures. And so I'd just like us to open up in prayer. Wherever you're at, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today that we can worship that resurrection King of all kings, Jesus. God, we thank you. We may not be doing worship how we normally do on Easter Sunday, but God, we are so grateful that we can still gather freely and worship you. So Heavenly Father, we just invite you into our homes today as we study from the Word of God that we truly could learn more of you and become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is an exciting day. It is Resurrection Sunday. Usually church is buzzing and things are exciting. Everyone has their ham or whatever in the oven to go home to. But today, if you're like my family, we're meeting family and we're going to sit outside in a yard six feet apart and everyone brings their own to-go bag. And so we're going to have our Easter dinner on the fly outside you know, honoring all the rules that we need to honor. But so things are different. We know it's unusual and different. As we were studying um, for Easter Sunday, I was preparing for this and I thought, you know, I'd really like to go through the death and resurrection of Christ. And I know Easter Sunday, we're talking about the resurrection, but we're going to go through the days up to the resurrection. And then we're going to talk about Jesus' resurrection. So let's start with the Last Supper. I'm going to read a lot out of Matthew today. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew um, chapter 26, and we're going to look here. I'm just going to kind of go over some things just verbally, and we're not going to read, and then we'll go into scriptures. But let's look at the Last Supper. You know, they met, they gathered with Jesus, and he prepared the Last Supper. And a lot of people think that um, what he shared in those moments was John 14, 15, and 16. And if you know, those are about the intimacy with Jesus, and that he's coming, and he's going to send a helper. And um, in that moment, when they were breaking bread together, and he's saying, you know, do this in remembrance of me, I don't think they really knew what they were in for. After that, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane where the disciples were asked three times to basically wake up while Christ went and prayed. And they wouldn't stay awake. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened Jesus. And in Luke twenty-two forty-four, it says, And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. I think in that Garden of Gethsemane, he remembered. I mean, he knew what he was in for. He knew the suffering that was going to take place. You know, he cried out and he said, can you take this from me, Father? And so Ted's going to share from a medical perspective on the blood and sweat. Yeah, so there's actually a medical term called uh, 
hemohydrosis, which means sweating blood. I've never seen it. It's rare. It happens. Um, usually it's someone under extreme emotional stress or duress and basically, basically little capillaries around the sweat glands rupture into one of the sweat glands and then they start to sweat blood. Um, it's always in someone who's under a great amount of emotional stress. And then the problem that leads to two, which we'll talk about in a little bit in a few minutes, is that the skin itself then is very friable, very vulnerable, um, and very in a very much weakened state. So the skin itself becomes um, injured, so to speak, by sweating blood. So Jesus, as he's sweating blood, he said, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Christ knew what he was entering. He knew that he would be persecuted, that he would be tortured, that he'd be put to death. But I want you to think of this in a very personal way. You know, Christ willingly gave his life. He willingly came to earth and gave his life for us. And I want you to think as we're sitting here going through these scriptures today that this is very personal. He did this for you and he did this for me. He did it for our families and he did it for the generations to come. Christ died for us, for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for that we could be whole and healed in every way. Our emotions healed, our physical body healed, our spirit healed, that we would have eternal salvation with him. So as we go through these scriptures now, I want you to think about this is for you and for me. Christ gave his life. So after the last supper, their nights began, you know, the day end was when sun came, went down. And so as the sun went down, that day ended. And this is another day. And in that evening, they arrested Christ and he was put on trial in the middle of the night. And there were six trials that took place between then and in the morning, about 8.30 or 9 a.m., they believe. They know what time he was crucified. The rest of the time scale is not as clear, but they knew there were six trials in the evening. Three were with Jewish leaders and three of them with Roman leaders. And the six with the Jewish leaders were with Annas, Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was similar to um, the Supreme Court of this day. And uh, I was researching it. There were many judges on that court. And they, in that evening, this is unheard of, in an evening hour, they held three trials where they, all three of them of the Jewish leaders found him guilty. And they, guilty as charged of blasphemy. And the three Roman leaders, it started with Pilate. And then it, Pilate took him to Herod. And Herod brought him back to Pilate because they didn't want to make decisions. And none of the Roman leaders found him guilty. They said... Pilate ended with this, a very famous statement. I find no fault in him. Pilate did not find fault in Christ, yet they gave him over to be crucified. After this time in the morning when he was judged, he was, he was judged guilty he, by the Sanhedrin. Jesus then was blindfolded. They spit on him. They put a crown of thorns on him. They put a robe, a purple robe on him. They hit him with their fists like they punched him. They plucked out his beard. They flogged him, which in the proper terms is scourged. They scourged him. In Isaiah 50, so many prophecies were fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Over 400. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheek to those who plucked out my beard. I did not cover my face from the humiliation and spitting 
In John 19, verses 1 through 3, it says, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in his face. Ted, do you want to talk about scourging? So we'll talk about scourging. Um, scourging is quite nasty. It, um, so in, in crucifixion, it's a, a part of that. And it's a prelude to crucifying on the cross. So uh, I didn't realize this until I was studying it um, in more detail. But, you know, you, when you hear about flogging, you kind of think of the movies and this and that where they're, you know, lashing someone. Yeah, it hurts and they might, you know, tear the skin and this and that. But, but scourging is so much more than that. It's, it was designed to basically bring a person to collapse or near death. And so by the time they got to the cross, um, they were in, always in pretty tough shape. And the Jews only went up to 39 scourges or, or hits. Because uh, they thought at 40 they might kill the person. Romans, he, and this was a Roman scourging. It's hard to know how many they did. But historians say it was particularly harsh what they did to our Lord Jesus. And um, what they do is when you, they talk about Isaiah about hitting your back, they basically would tie you to a pole and your, your arms are on the front and your legs. So you can't move. So normally when you get hit, you can kind of dodge or kind of, you know, do something to kind of lighten the blow, but you're just tied taunt. So you can't move or do anything. And they would have these, these, uh, leather things that they would use to flog. So they're like strips of leather. And then they would wrap on the end, either a, a ball, a metal ball. So it would hit and bruise you. Or what was even worse, they'd have bits of bone or metal that would cut. And that's where that really came in and would really injure a person. So each time they would hit, they would not only cut, but they would start to tear skin. So these, um, when this would happen to a person, they would not only start, their skin would all be gone, then they would be down through the subcutaneous tissue and then down literally to muscle. So down to like bleeding muscle. So your whole back is exposed. And they, in history, they talk about, you know, sometimes the spine's exposed, you know, or the ribs are exposed. So it's, it's, you're, it's very much detrimental to the person and, and they lose lots and lots of blood. So that on the cross, you don't lose that much blood. Most of this comes from the scourging, which uh, really brings a person um, very close to death when they do that. And the Romans, they were, they were masters of this. They, um, they would do that. And the way that they would, they're scourging in the crucifixion uh, they went. They thought it was too cruel for a Roman citizen to do that too. They would only reserve this for people who have, that they really thought had done something very nasty, but it wasn't felt to be fitting of a Roman citizen to have to, to go through this kind of torture. Um, when you're done with getting scourged, there isn't a lot left of you. You're, you're very weak, you're bleeding, and, um, and then they untie you and, um, and let you off this pole. And then they go to the crucifixion that in itself fulfilled multiple prophetic words over him and over his life but we're going to look now to the crucifixion and we're going to read in Matthew 27 starting at verse 31 we're going to look at um, these verses After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. 
As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene. His name was Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which meant the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink in a mixture with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So to, to talk about the crucifixion a little bit, it was tradition that you would have to carry your cross. And it was just the cross piece. It wasn't like the upright. So basically they would take this piece of plank, which is about 100 pounds, and put it on the nape of the neck. And then your arms would drape over it, and then you would, and it would, they would tie you to it. And then they would make you stand up and walk however far it was uh, to the cross. And Christ was in such a, a weakened state then. He was probably... You know, medical scholars think he was either, you know, either serious condition or critical condition. He was just too weakened from um, the scourging to be able to do that. And that's where, um, you know, the story of Simeon carrying the cross for him um, comes in. But it was about 100 pounds. And then they would uh, take you and lie you down on the cross and then, um, you know, nail your hands to the cross. So in ancient times, the hand and the wrist were considered the same thing. So if you just put a spike through your hand, it probably isn't enough there to support your body. You would probably just tear out. So they would go between the uh, radius and ulna, and that's, uh, there's bone there, and you go right there, and that's sturdy, and that would hold your body. But the problem is when you go right through that, you're going through the median nerve, and you're probably hitting bone. So that's incredibly painful. The median nerve, you hit that. You know, if you have a nerve or acute nerve injury, it's just electricity up and down the arm and pain. And then they would, um, on the cross, they would also, um, and they nailed his feet to the cross, but how they would do it is they would have your legs flexed a bit and then nailed, and they went right through the middle of the foot, and there's also the perineal nerve there. So if you're hammering right through a nerve, you're again going to get this incredible excruciating pain from the nail in the nerve. And they gave him, they gave him gall, and um, that was just, they had a little kindness to their heart maybe. Gall was like, is a mild analgesic. So it was like this uh, vinegary wine with some myrrh in it, and uh, it was kind of like a Tylenol or a leave. That's kind of about what, what pain relieving it would give you. So when you're on the cross, you're, you know, like this. And the, the thing with the cross is you don't actually bleed out. I mean, that's what people kind of, what you kind of think. You actually like suffocate. So it's just a, a slow asphyxiation. So what happens is, as you slump down, your arms are out and you slump down, you can inhale, but you can't exhale. So you take all this air in, but you can't exhale. And so to exhale, you have to like muster all your energy and push on these feet that are have this you know nail through them that's giving you all this pain and push up and try and exhale. And then you slump back down. And, um, and then you take a breath in. So even like when Christ, there's about seven times they think that he said something. But you can't say a whole lot. Because all you can do is you're trying to like exhale. You can kind of blurt out something, a few words. And you're just trying to do that and still trying to exhale. So with time, basically the people would just tire out or they would just give up. And basically you would start, you just slowly 
because you can't breathe, you can inhale, but you can't exhale, you would just slowly asphyxiate or suffocate. And that's how you died on a cross, was from that. Um, but most of the actual bleeding and blood loss and everything came with the scourging um, that was prior to that. So we'll continue on in Matthew 27. As Jesus is dying, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling to Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine and vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And now Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice. He gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, and the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. There's so many prophetic for Christ's death. I want you to look at Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from the deliverance are the words of my groaning. And continues on in verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. In verse 18, it says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. As prophecy was fulfilled again and again, Jesus died. But it continues on in John 19, verses 32 through 36. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it was given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and that he testifies, so that also you may believe. These things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Those scriptures were prophetic words in Psalms and Zechariah that were fulfilled in that moment and quoted once again in John 19. So um, just how, how detailed the scriptures are in Psalms where Jana was reading, they talk about you lay me down in the dust of death. So when they would have been nailing him to the cross, he would have been laying down on this, you know, old piece of wood in the dust. And it would have been contaminating the open wounds on the back, although it probably didn't matter that much because, you know, the person is near death soon. Um, and then when you're lying on the cross, too, if you just think of you have this raw wound, like your whole back is raw, and then you're having to go up and down like this to actually just breathe, um, everything is just painful and excruciating. So if they needed to, like, finish the death, um, if they made you stop breathing, you had to be able to move up and down with your legs to breathe. They would go and they would break their legs just below the knees with just a blow. And if you can't start moving yourself up and again, up and down again, you basically suffocate and you die within within several minutes. When they came to Christ, they could already see that he was dead. So Romans they would they would usually um, pierce or spear somebody 
And most people think it's actually, they went into the chest, into the right side of the chest, and you would, you would get to the heart, and that's where you see the blood. But as you're going through, you, the, the water is either pleural fluid or fluid around the heart, the pericardium. There's always some fluid. And probably in someone who's in just that dramatic of state, there'd be a fair amount of fluid on their lungs and on their heart, and that's what they would see. Um, that's what would came, which would come out. So to die on a cross, it's basically the blood loss, what we call hypovolemia, and then just a slow asphyxiation of basically, um, you know, getting asphyxiated or suffocating. When, when Jesus died, there was, you know, he, he uttered and then said he gave up the, his spirit and was done. So they talk about there's probably, there was some terminal event that, that ended his life. And there's speculation on that too, what that could have been. He could have been, could have been a cardiac arrhythmia, just his heart heart was just in such a weakened state they would have um, some kind of arrhythmia that's how people you know can die um, other people speculate that he probably could have actually had a, a heart attack or myocardial infarction and after a few hours after that happens sometimes the muscle of the heart is so weak that it actually ruptures in the heart you have cardiac rupture you know a broken heart um, or it just could have been you know the um, just this asphyxiation and basically just you know, couldn't breathe anymore, and he was done. But it's quite clear that when you look at the medical evidence from modern medicine, he did die on the cross. And so during the day, people would claim that, you know, they sold his body, and he didn't really raise from the dead because they sold his body, and somehow he came back. And even today, people will kind of like put out theories like that, that um, somehow Christ survived crucifixion. And it's pretty clear from the medical evidence that, a human could not survive the crucifixion. So um, that's the medical side of it. <laughs> and now Jane is going to talk about the uh, medically inexplicable side of it, the resurrection. And there is no, nothing in the medical literature that talks about resurrection and nothing in science that we have that parallels that because that is like supernatural and that's exciting and that's why we're here today. So Jane is going to give the good stuff. Thank you, Ted. So after he was, he died, um, that before dusk, then at dusk would be the next day would start up and that was the Sabbath. So they asked if they could take his body and Joseph took his body, wrapped him in clean linens and put him in um, the tomb. The tomb was ordered shut and then sealed. They said, we're going to seal this because we aren't going to let any of these rumors come out that he's raised from the dead. So they put, in that day they had mortar, so more than likely they mortared it shut. And then guards were posted around him. But we know, but there's a Sabbath and then what happens? Jesus, the next day, he's raised from the dead. An angel shows up and moves the stone and sits on the rock and the angel one angel, one angel showed up and sat on the rock. I love that in the story. I was like, just one angel and he's sitting on the rock. He did his part. He moved the stone. When you think about it, I, it's hard to even comprehend the power that one angel has. You know, when we get discouraged and feel like the battle's too big, just remember, it just took one angel and he rolled that stone away and he's sitting on the rock on Resurrection Sunday. They have power. So we're going to turn to Luke now and look at some scriptures, what happens after the resurrection. You know, I want us to turn to the women came and they found the tomb empty, you know, and they were looking for him and they meet the angel 
And he says, go and tell what you see. But after that, there's this um, encounter with Jesus and these people on the road of Emmaus. And this is where Burning Hearts gets its name. But I felt it was super important to look at this because when our eyes are closed, and you may have friends whose eyes don't quite see yet, and once they're open and see who Jesus is and what he has done for us, everything changes. When we recognize that King Jesus is that King of all kings. And um, so let's look at the road to Emmaus, um, Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside of them. But they were kept from recognizing him. What are you discussing together? We're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all of the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But he had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen in a vision of angel who had said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? In the beginning with Moses and with the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. He began to explain all of the scriptures that talked about Jesus' death and his resurrection. And as they approached the village, they invited him to come and stay and eat with them. So they went in and when the table, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. And verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road of Emmaus and opened the scriptures to us? We are not our hearts burning as he spoke of the word of God being fulfilled in his life. They knew that this was the Messiah. And they knew that this was a fulfillment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they begin to believe the scriptures in that moment came alive. We still today, the word of God and this story of his resurrection has that same effect on us and on people around us. You know, I believe that Easter Sunday is an incredible time for us to honor that resurrection of Jesus Christ, but to remember that we live on that side of the cross in the resurrection of Christ. We're waiting for him to come and bring us to heaven for eternity, but in this place, we're on the other side where we stand in the all power and all authority was given to Christ. And then he said, now here, I give it to you and go and make disciples of all nations. In that place is where we stand today in the resurrection of Jesus. You know, we studied Acts and we saw as they proclaimed the resurrection 
and gospel of Jesus Christ, signs and wonders followed and all were saved. There were hundreds saved. Thousands were added to the church daily. I believe we are in a season right now where this is true for us. I can't believe it's Easter Sunday and we're in the middle of a pandemic. But in that place, the gospel's going out and the resurrection power of Jesus is going out to the nations. People are tuning in online that have never tuned into the gospel before and are hearing it. And the truth of his resurrection and that power. And I believe that for such a time as this, we are in this place as we are in our homes celebrating who Christ is and that we live on that side of the cross for a reason. He came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. So I am excited in this season of what God is doing and what those testimonies of we're going to hear of what is about to happen. And so I would like us to go into prayer. And if you are one that has not met Jesus Christ as your personal savior, today is your day. He says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And um, anyone in here who has yet to say, I'm just kind of gotten cold, Pastor Jana, and I just need to revive my relationship with Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Psalm 51, it says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Some of us need that restored in our season, that joy of our salvation. So I'd like us to pray for that today. And I want also us to stand in agreement and pray for our city in this region that this virus would stop. We are living in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We just laid out all the scriptures of all the prophecies that were fulfilled were beyond us being able to share in a half hour time. There's so many prophetic words that were fulfilled by Christ's death and resurrection. As Ted shared the suffering that Christ did for you and for me, and he would have done it if it was just you or if it was just me. He loved us that much that he desired for that relationship to be made. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, if we don't know Christ as your personal Savior or if we've grown cold, God, we call on the name of the Lord and we ask that you would save us. We say Jesus is Lord. We confess that with our mouth, that you are Lord of all lords and King of all kings. And today as we stand here and we pray over our city of that resurrection power that Jesus showed us, Did our hearts not burn within us when you shared the scriptures with us? As we are sharing these scriptures today of your resurrection life, my heart is burning within us, within me, saying, God, you are better than I could ever imagine. You had such an incredible plan for our lives. And so, God, we just stand knowing that authority that you took death and sickness and disease and sin on the cross and you died and you rose again for us. So, Lord, we command this virus to stop in the name of Jesus. We command it to stop in our city, in our region. We command it to stop over the cities of our nation and the nations, Lord. We ask that this day as we celebrate the resurrection King, that your power and your authority would come and begin to move in might over the nations and that this would stop, that we can mark this day and say things shifted and the amount of people that were getting sick went down. The amount of people that were dying went down. God, we ask that you move in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray over those who've lost their jobs or who are struggling with finances. God, we pray that you supply and meet every need. 
every need in these households, God. Lord, as they are standing here worried about what tomorrow brings, God, we lay it before you and say, God, supply every need. I pray that the body of Christ would rise up and be the body of Christ, that we would love each other well, that we would meet the needs of others. God, I ask that you lay on people's hearts of how to serve in this season and how to love people well. But God, we just thank you for sending your son. We thank you that we celebrate the resurrected king in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week. 